He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Well, Happy New Year. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Let's try that again. <laughs> well, Happy New Year. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. I'm your co-host, Jack Heald. Dr. Ovedia, so good to see you again. Great to be with you, back with you, Jack. Um, I think we had a very successful season one, and I'm excited for what season two is going to bring. I am too. We've got some really good subjects uh, in in line, and we've got some good guests lined up. So let's just jump right into it. You and I were talking offline a couple of weeks ago, um, and the subject of addiction and metabolic health came up, and my ears perked up because addiction is a uh, it's a problem that plagues a lot of people. And you just kind of commented, "Oh, metabolic health can can help with addiction." So I said. Hey doc, we got to we got to talk about that. So let's do that. Let's talk about how is metabolic health or lack thereof and various forms of addiction connected. I think it's a, a great topic for us to dive into and uh, very timely. I was uh, one of the speakers uh, about a week ago at the uh, Low Carb USA uh, conference. And, you know, while my talk focused on heart disease risks and metabolic health, uh, there were a number of talks that were focused on various aspects of mental health and their relationship to diet and metabolic health. So I think it's a, a very timely topic to be discussing. And the other unfortunate trend that we are seeing in society uh, is that there is a worsening of mental health. Um, you know, things like suicide and drug abuse uh, are clearly on the increase. And, um, you know, that that's obviously due to a number of societal factors these days. Uh, but I think it's very important to start discussing what we can do to improve that. And I think improving metabolic health is clearly something that can help with mental health issues. Well, let's start with uh, a type of addiction that has uh, comparatively recent, um, eating disorders. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, anorexia, bulimia, those types of disorders. Now I realize those may actually be, uh, mental health disorders rather than, than have a physical connection, but is there a connection between metabolic health and those kinds of eating disorders? And how can improving metabolic, will metabolic, uh, increasing your metabolic health make a difference? Yeah. So uh, this was actually, uh, you know, the topics of uh, one of the talks uh, at the meeting and um, a uh, uh, dietitian um, gave a uh, excellent uh, talk uh, on this very topic. And, you know, it's a, at first, it would seem to be counterintuitive that, yeah. you know, the way to fix a eating disorder, uh, such as anorexia or bulimia, is to, you know, kind of restrict what the person is eating. 
Um, but in reality, you know, this speaker, uh, many others were able to relay personal experience as well as their professional experience in working with, you know, clients and patients uh, that they have seen significant improvements in eating disorders uh, when the focus was on the quality of the food you're eating. Uh, and at its root, you know, that's what we're talking about around metabolic health. Uh, you know, I think the, the main focus of my messaging is to be eating better quality food, to be eliminating the processed foods, eating whole real foods. And we see that that, you know, has a noticeable impact on people's mental health and on things like eating disorders. And there's, you know, very good scientific biochemical, you know, reasons why that would be true. Um, and we can sort of get into, you know, the, the effects on brain chemistry uh, that come from, you know, metabolic health and from eliminating processed foods. I've, in, in other work that I do, I've spent a lot of time uh, studying brain chemistry. So I'd appreciate it if you'd, I, I think I've got a, a at least a, a re relatively educated layman's understanding of some of the neurochemical processes involved in our brains and how, the, how it affects behavior. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, we know that, um, you know, Similar to all of our organs, our brain can utilize two primary fuel sources, and those are glucose, which is sugar, and ketones, which uh, come from the you know utilization of fats uh, for energy. Um, what we see happen in um, many of these mental health disorders is that there seems to be alterations in the brain's ability to process glucose. Um, and, you know, when people are eating, let's say, a standard American diet, a metabolically unhealthy diet, uh, they are usually using primarily glucose as their fuel source uh, because of the right. hormonal environment that's set up by eating that type of diet. They are unable to burn fat and generate ketones for energy. And that's one of the central problems, you know, with poor metabolic health. Uh, it seems that the brain uh, better utilizes ketones. And when your brain and your body, for that matter, are primarily working off of ketones, or at least have that flexibility of easily switching back and forth between glucose and ketones as their primary energy source, that is an advantageous situation. Um, so, you know, again, when we get metabolically healthy, we tend to rely more on ketones for energy than glucose. That is a more stable, more long-lasting sort of energy source, ketones, um, as opposed to glucose, which is a very kind of fast-burning, um, you know, energy source and tends to have right. a lot of up and downs uh, that, and those up and downs are what seem to contribute to a lot of mental health problems. I realize you're not a brain doctor, so maybe this is an unfair question, but as I think through what you just said, um, these eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia, the speculation is that it has something to do with the, I want to make sure I, I've, I've understood your statement, then I'm going to ask a question, assuming I've understood. 
these types of disorders are highly correlated with a, a dysfunction in the brain's use of glucose as a fuel source. Am I, did I get that part right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and again, as you said, I'm not a, a brain specialist. Uh, mental health disorders in general have been, you know, correlated with altered oh. metabolism of glucose. Uh, uh, to okay. be honest, I'm not sure that eating disorders in particular, uh, you know, have shown that same evidence. Uh, but as I said, you know, the clinical evidence that, uh, you know, we that people have seen, and again, not my particular area of expertise, but, you know, uh, the people who, um, you know, deal with eating disorders, they have seen good clinical response to, you know, eliminating processed food and improving metabolic health uh, for people who are suffering from eating disorders. Wow. So just, I'm, I'm just speculating wildly here with my layman's understanding. So people who, uh, who are anorexic just simply don't eat enough, don't get enough calories, period. I know that at some point when you're not, when you're not, ingesting carbs, your body will flip over and start burning fat. But one of the problems with, not one of, the single biggest problem with anorexia is you burn off everything. You use up all your fat and then the body starts eating muscle, I think. I think that's how it works. Um, so that would imply at some point the the brain itself is literally starved of all forms of, of fuel. There's no glucose on board. You've chewed up uh, all your fat for basic processing, and the and the the brain is is starved of fuel, which clearly would make your thinking completely messed up. And I'm and I'm just speculating here. Have I got that? Am I am I am I in the right neighborhood there? I, you know, certainly, um, you know, with anorexia in particular, uh, you know, you are going to be dealing with a, uh, you know, kind of malnourishment situation. Um, and the controversy becomes, you know, and this again was one of the topics that uh, was discussed at the conference. Um, the controversy is how best to, um, you know, the clinical term is refeed. Uh, these patients, uh, you know, right. probably not a great term to use, but, you know, when you are trying to get them to eat again and eat normally, um, you know, what is the best way to do that? And, you know, the the theory, um, you know, that that uh, this speaker was putting forth that I think makes a lot of sense is, is if you do that using whole real food um, that are going to promote, you know, more fat burning, uh, sort of a ketogenic diet, essentially, um, that, um, that may be a better way to go about it. Um, which is very much against, you know, the traditional, uh, approach to these patients these days. Um, you know, um, right. one of the things that was talked about is, you know, oftentimes, uh, you need to resort to, you know, tube feeding, artificially right. feeding these patients because they won't eat. And the tube feeds that are used in hospitals these days are, you know, basically just a liquid version of the standard American diet. They are right. very high in, in, you know, sugar and carbohydrates. 
they use a lot of the you know vegetable and seed oils uh, that are found in processed foods. And um, you know again, it, it it would make sense, and there has been clinical evidence that if we can refeed these patients on a whole food, you know, whole real food diet, a ketogenic diet, that that, um, you know, may be uh, a better way to do that because you're not going to keep furthering that cycle of getting them into this, uh, you know, sugar burning with the, uh, you know, wild variations in in glucose levels uh, within the brain itself. Fascinating. So at, at a very specific diagnostic level, we can't do any kind of diagnostics here, but what we can, what we can say for, for someone who's concerned about that particular problem, uh, rearing its ugly head is get the processed food out of the house, get the boxed food out of the house, get the, the, the early, the prepared food out of the house, just don't have it available. Um, stock the stock the house with nutrient dense whole real foods as a start. There may be more needed than that, but do that as a start. Right. I, I okay, think that's let's, well said. And you know, I think as we broaden that out to you know more generalized mental health issues, um, we start to see you know similar things. Yeah. Um, and I guess part of what we get into here is that, that murky gray boundary between, uh, the body and the mind and which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Um, not really our job to, to untangle that particular knot. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I would say, uh, you know, I can certainly say based on my personal experience um, you know, is that I clearly had some issues, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, addictive food issues, uh, I guess you could say, when I was eating, you know, processed food in the standard American diet. And what I have found since I improved my metabolic health and, you know, have uh, eliminated processed foods and stick to eating whole real food is that those food addiction issues, you know, are no longer present. Uh, now, you know, one of the arguments that sort of goes on is, is it the food itself that's causing the addiction? You know, these highly processed foods with, you know, sugar and, and um, you know, the um, highly processed carbohydrates, uh, do they themselves cause addiction, food addiction, or, you know, are people that are more food, you know, more prone to food addiction, also more prone to eat those foods? Um, you know, there there is some discussion to be had there. But you know, what I personally have seen, what many of my patients describe, is that when they eliminate processed food, when they eat whole real food, when they become metabolically healthy, um, those addiction issues around food get better. Fascinating. Well, you know, I, I've never had any kind of addiction, uh, that I could recognize with the possible exception of when I was day trading index futures. And that's a, that's another issue. Uh, having said that as someone who hasn't dealt with any kind of addiction issues, I've, 
proven for myself that eating whole real foods changes what I get hungry for. Um, and that's a reserve that's as a result of, of working with you these last several months, you've, your advocacy of, of whole real foods pushed me over the edge to the point where I, we've gotten rid of all the not whole, not real foods in the house. And as a result, I eat better, obviously. And at the same time, um, the craving for that junk, you know, I'm one of those crunchy, salty guys. Give me the crunchy, salty, and I'm, <laughs> and just keep giving it to me. Um, those, I wouldn't call it addictions, but certainly cravings have completely disappeared. I just, I don't crave that stuff. So, anecdotal evidence, I understand, but, but there it is nonetheless. And again, you know, looking at the high level picture, it's hard to believe that, you know, we would have evolved in such a way that, you know, foods that are good for our body are going to be bad for our brain or vice versa. Uh, you yeah. know, so I think it, it makes, you know, perfect sense at a high level that when we are getting back to eating these foods that nourish our body, that keep our body healthy that that is going to have positive effects on our brain as well. Man, this makes me think we should get an addiction expert on just to talk about the, the uh, biochemistry of addiction um, and maybe have you, you guys rub brain cells together to come up with some, at least some interesting theories. Um, so do, does the same thing hold true for other kinds of what are clearly physical addictions? drug addiction, uh, cigarettes, alcohol. Uh, yeah, I guess those are kind of the big three. Yeah. You know, we, uh, you know, many of the practitioners, you know, in the metabolic health space in the, you know, uh, in the community have noticed exactly that, you know, patients come to them for their metabolic health issues. They want to cure their, you know, they want to reverse their diabetes, for instance, um, but in the process of doing so, uh, they give up drinking, they give up smoking, um, they give up things like gambling or, you know, pornography. Um, this gambling. is something that, you know, wow. a, a lot of us have noticed uh, in the space as we're dealing with these people and as we are helping these patients. Um, again, that it's just there seems to be, you know, I describe it as a stabilization of mood that goes with being metabolically healthy. You know, it is consistently wow. reported. Uh, and this is something I've noticed myself. This is something that many of the patients I work with have told me. And, you know, the other practitioners uh, that I interact with hear these same things from their patients as well, that they just, you know, you don't have those mood swings uh, when you're metabolically healthy. Um, you're not you know, you don't get that hangry feeling that, you know, many of us are so familiar with. Um, right. And you just, again, for whatever reason, and it probably has to do with, you know, the brain chemistry and running on ketones versus glucose and the more stable levels of those fuels uh, that you can accomplish, you know, over time, uh, you, people consistently notice that their, their mood just is more stable. Uh, and they're not prone to those ups and downs. 
And I think there's a lot of reason to believe that those ups and downs are what get people, you know, in those addictive type behaviors because, you know, they need those ups from other things as well. You know, it might not be coming from food for them. It might be coming from something else like, you know, cigarettes or alcohol or gambling or pornography uh, or, you know, any of these things that uh, people can get addicted to. So if we think about it neurologically, uh, neurochemically, um, the the neurochemical that seems to be most involved in addiction is dopamine. Dopamine is what mediates our uh, our our feeling of accomplishing something. So that's why these things like Twitter and video games have become so addictive is because they they give the false sense of getting closer to a goal and that feeling of pleasure that we get as we see ourselves approaching a goal at least neurochemically is caused by the release of dopamine um and i know that that's uh well i don't know because I've studied it, but because people I trust say that that's essentially what cocaine does. Cocaine stimulates the dopamine production in the body. And that's what makes it so addictive is that you get the dopamine spike without actually doing anything. It's just this massive uh, uh, dopamine dump. Um, And in fact, I think they say that part of the problem with cocaine is that it, 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 oversaturates your, I guess, your dopamine receptors in your brain. And you never quite get the same feeling of satisfaction about anything after having, having, after having a cocaine addiction. So having said all that, I'm, I'm just thinking things through here and stop me if I'm going way off path. Well, you know, it, it brings up an interesting point because one of the things that has been, you know, shown in repeated, you know, kind of uh, studies is that sugar is actually more addictive than cocaine. Uh, and uh, they've shown that, you know, sugar um, oh lights up similar areas in the brain, you know, that cocaine does. And uh, there's a, uh, you know, kind of famous um, rat study that's that's referred to uh, often that, you know, basically showed that, you know, rats become more addicted to sugar than they do to cocaine. Uh, so um, it, it's there's, again, a lot of reason to think that, you know, the types of food that we are eating are going to have an impact on our mental health uh, and on addiction issues. And that by improving your metabolic health, by improving what you're eating, uh, you will be able to see improvements in these other, you know, mental health issue as well. Yeah. So I'm just speculating here as a, as a complete layman, but I'm speculating. I know that what happens metabolically in our, in our digestion, in our energy production system, when we're dumping too much processed carbs into our system, we overwhelm our insulin receptors. And so the problem, the problem becomes insulin insensitivity. And so our pancreas needs to create more and more insulin. And it's, we get into this vicious cycle and at some point the pancreas just poops out and says, I I can't make enough anymore. And we've now reached the point where we end up not 
making we we, uh, we have our blood sugar shoots up because it's not being transferred into the cells via the mechanism of the, the of insulin. I'm, I've got that right, don't I? I've got that bit bit right. Yes, yeah, that was okay. a good a good uh, so, summary of it. So now the speculation. Uh, so what I'm speculating is. Are, are these addiction issues, are they dopamine related and have the same sort of issue that we have with insulin? Is it a dopamine receptors overload? Do we, do we become dopamine insensitive? And is getting metabolically healthy something that May, it, it, perhaps what's happening is the dopamine, dopamine receptors are getting a chance to rest and recover and regain their sensitivity in the same way that our insulin receptivity improves as we as we eat better. I know you don't have an answer. I'm just I'm speculating here. No, it's a very interesting, um, you know, concept, um, and I don't know, you know, how much science. Uh, we necessarily have around that. But, you know, one of the things we do know, for instance, with addictive behaviors is that over time, um, you know, you need more and more of whatever that stimulus is, right. uh, you know, usually to get the same uh, effect. Uh, and exactly. It's an analog with, with insulin, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and again, you know, another kind of, uh, you know, personal experience um, you know, around getting metabolically healthy is, for instance, you know, I notice that I'm much more sensitive to the effects of alcohol. And, you know, what used to take, you know, three or four drinks, you know, to get me to a certain level now, you know, one or two drinks uh, can do that. And, uh, really? you know, that that is another consistent uh, finding that I, you know, that I see in people that I hear from people who are improving their metabolic health. Um, and um, you know, so again, it, it might be a similar, uh, similar situation. Um, and then I'll take it one step further with, you know, even when you look at your sensitivity to taste, um, you know, what now that I am metabolically healthy, things that, you know, never seemed sweet to me before uh, seem very sweet now or, you know, very low levels of sugar. Uh, you know, are very sweet tasting now. Whereas, you know, when I was not metabolically healthy and I was eating all this stuff, uh, you know, on a regular basis, um, it would take a lot more sweetness for me to perceive it, uh, I guess you could say. So, yeah. um, you know, that that's along those same lines. I think, you know, metabolic health gets all of our cells working better. Uh, and when it comes to sort of sensory type cells, I think that holds true as well. And uh, so it's just one of the, you know, one of the many aspects that we see improve with metabolic health improvement. I, I've got another question I want to want to ask you about regarding sensitivity to bad foods after you've been eating good foods for a while. But it's not actually in the it's not in the the addiction category. You know what? This is a conversation. Let's have the conversation. I was talking to my mother this morning. She's read your book. Um, uh, she got serious about dumping the junk from her diet. And uh, for, I would say, a couple of months now, she's been eating primarily a keto-type diet. <coughs> Excuse me. And 
she's commented here just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we just got through the holidays and my daughter-in-law had her birthday and we had a big blowout for that. Um, mom had probably more processed wheat than she's had in quite some time. Um, and it's not a lot, but it's a little bit. The other thing is she's discontinued dairy for a different set of reasons. And she's, she commented this morning that she's noticed she's far more sensitive to the effects of both, uh, both flour and dairy than she was before the negative effects. Um, I, I'm guessing that once again, it's the same category of response, a heightened sensitivity as a result of stopping the abuse. Insulin receptors are heightened in their sensitivity when we stop abusing them. I speculate that neurochemical receptors are heightened in their sensitivity when we stop abusing them. Um, and the inverse is what I'm describing with my mom, a heightened sensitivity to the negative aspects of the, of the abusive food. Can you talk a little bit about that? And in other words, I'll give you a, 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 a for instance, um, milk causes her to have uh, a histamine reaction where she sneezes and, and gets a, a stuffy or runny nose, mucus production, that kind of thing. And she's largely eliminated it, but has a little bit now and then. And has said, she seems to be, it doesn't take very much to, to trigger those kind of responses now. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but I'll throw yeah. it over in your lap. It, so I think, you know, there are two aspects of that. Um, the first is what, you know, I think as people become metabolically healthy, they realize what they're actually supposed to feel like. Um, <laughs> and people who are eating, you know, processed food all the time feel bad all the time. They just don't realize that they feel they bad just don't know because it. they feel bad all the time. And once you, you know, eliminate the processed food and you get metabolically healthy and you notice how good you're supposed to feel, and then you, you know, you go and you eat some processed food um, and it makes you feel bad. And, you know, now you actually notice it, you know, and this shows up in different ways for different people. You know, there'll be people who, you know, a, a particular joint might hurt, uh, you know, their knees always hurting and they eliminate the processed food and they feel better and their knee pain goes away. And then they, you know, eat a little something uh, on an occasion and they feel it in their knee. And it's like, OK, you know, basically the processed food was always causing you to feel bad. You just never noticed it because you always felt bad. So I think there is that part of it. Um, OK, well, that makes sense. Interestingly, what I do see in many of my patients who have dairy sensitivities, uh, even those who sometimes, you know, have gluten sensitivities, um, is that when they get further along in the process and now they're truly, you know, metabolically healthy, all the inflammation in their gut that goes along with metabolic disease has settled down, a lot of them can get back to those foods that they weren't able to tolerate in the past. Not all of them, but a lot of them I do see this with. Um, so, you know, I think there's kind of stages to this, uh, I would say. 
Um, but exactly what you, you know, noticed with your mom, you know, I had a, I was, uh, you know, doing a uh, telemedicine visit with one of my patients who uh, recently joined the practice. And, you know, she's been, you know, she's now three or four weeks into eating clean um, and eliminating processed food. And, you know, she said to me, oh, the other night I kind of slipped up and, you know, we decided to order a pizza and I had a few slices of the pizza and I noticed how horrible I felt afterwards, you know, and she said, I always used to eat pizza. And I said, well, you know, exactly what I just said that, you know, you probably didn't notice how bad it was making you feel because you always felt that way because you were always eating processed food. Now that you feel better and you're metabolically healthy, you really notice the effects of that. So it's not so much that you feel worse than you used to feel. It's that you get used to feeling good. And when you feel the way you used to feel, it feels worse because that used to feel like normal to you. And we just adapt to whatever our conditions are. And so we get used to our new normal and the old normal feels worse. I think I've got that. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So we've talked about uh, possibly mental health problems such as eating disorders. We've talked about chemical problems such as drugs, alcohol. We've talked about uh, those fuzzy areas, which are maybe brain chemistry problems like pornography and gambling. Are there other types of uh, addictions? I guess the other one was would be smoking, which, as I understand, is both a physical and a behavioral addiction. Um, all of these, you're saying there has been at least anecdotal, if not clinical evidence, that getting metabolically healthy helps. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's correct. And, you know, like I said, on the high level, it just makes sense that when we get our bodies healthier and working as they should, it's going to help our brains get healthier and work work as it should. Okay, I've got a question for you <clears throat> that I'm not I I I I'm concerned about how you're going to answer this, but we're going to ask the question. I have a friend who is I would say by and large a health fanatic. For the last couple of 3 years, he has eaten very clean. Um, he's become a very good chef. He cooks all, all the food for his, for himself and his family. Um, I don't think they buy anything out. Everything is made at home. It's, it's whole real food is what he eats. Um, he works out like a fiend. Um, he has a, one of those, uh, dry sauna things in his house, where he'll sit, it's like 140 degrees and he sits in there and um, does this regularly. He takes supplements to help him with everything. In other words, he does all the things you're supposed to do. And by all appearances, he's wildly healthy. There is this one thing, and these are his words, he drinks like every day is the apocalypse. Um, He's in the entertainment business And so he works entertainers hours rather than normal human being hours and drinking is just kind of part of the, part of the thing. And I go back and forth with whether I should worry about the, the amount he drinks 
or if maybe everything else he does is offsetting that. All right. So that's the story. The question behind that is, is his pretty radical level of health otherwise just helping him to deal with all the alcohol he pours down his body? He, he doesn't appear to have a problem other than just the quantity. He's a big guy, so he, so it takes a lot to, to get him there. But his own words are, he drinks every night like it's the apocalypse. And I've, I can attest to the fact that he does. But it doesn't seem to have any effect on him. Every now and then he'll stop drinking just to see if he can do it. And he can. He doesn't seem to have withdrawal or any of that stuff. But he drinks like a fish. And I just, thoughts, comments, questions? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it would be interesting. You know, there was cert- certainly would be some things I would want to look at, you know, his, his liver function tests and such. Um, but, um, you know, I, yes, I, I would certainly say that, you know, being metabolically healthy uh, is going to allow you to maybe tolerate a little better uh insults to the system, we'll say, than, than you know, other people, uh, than people who are not metabolically healthy and, and you know, using those same, uh, you know, toxic substances. I mean, unfortunately, in the end, we can't get around the fact that alcohol is toxic to our bodies. Um, and it's not, you know, something that we're really meant to be consuming, I would say, um, on a, re- you know, certainly on a regular basis in large quantities like that. So, Um, I guess, you know, if I was having a conversation with this person, I would say, you know, look how good your health is. And it could probably be even better if uh, you weren't drinking so much alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think he'd be an interesting study. I really do. Maybe I can convince him to get a, a liver function test just to see what the heck's going on. Otherwise, he's, you know, he's wildly healthy. Um, he, he climbs, you know, we've got mountains here in, in Phoenix. And on, I think every day, he climbs Camelback Mountain, which is a heck of a hike. Um, anybody who's done it understands that's, that ain't nothing. That's, that's definitely something. Um, and his, I would guess his body fat is low 20s, high teens. He's, he's, Younger than I am, but uh, past middle age. He's going to kill me if he hears me say that about him. <laughs> so he, he's been a puzzle to me. That's really been a puzzle. I've just, I hadn't been, I haven't known what to make of his otherwise extraordinary health and the sheer quantity of alcohol he's able to put away. So, all right. Well, I think I've I've run out of questions about addiction. Have you got anything else you want to add? Any, anything we haven't addressed? No, I think that was a, a good discussion around this topic. Um, you know, and again, um, I just would uh, reiterate that you know, focusing on your metabolic health, improving your metabolic health, um, is not only going to improve your body, but it's going to lead to improvements for your mind as well. And probably your relationships, frankly. Um, when you feel better, you tend to get along with people better. 
All right. Well, this is the time that I say, hey, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, a new There's a new episode of the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast that drops just about every week on Tuesdays. You can follow Dr. Ovedia on Twitter at iFixHearts. You can get more information about the type of telemedicine he practices. If you need help getting your metabolic health straightened out, I suggest you look him up. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Yikes. Look him up at ovadiahearthealth.com. And uh, I think that'll do it for today. We'll talk to you all next week. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Ovadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.